We are starting this morning into Acts chapter 20, and Lord willing, we'll get down to uh, verse 16. Last week, we saw Paul uh, finishing up his ministry there in Ephesus. He'd been there for a few years, uh, teaching uh, the church there, really uh, sending people out to all of Asia Minor with the gospel, and phenomenal and fantastic things had unfolded there, a great move of the Lord. And yet right before Paul was about to leave the city onto his next stop, we know that great commotion broke out in that city. And we'll recap that a little bit here in a second. Uh, but the Lord settled that commotion down and we saw him getting ready to leave as we left off. This morning, we're going to see Paul continuing. And really, there's a lot of transitional things in our text this morning, we're going to see Paul bouncing around from, from different spots, really ultimately headed towards Jerusalem, uh, wanting to get there by the day of Pentecost so that he could share the gospel with Jews that would come into Pentecost from all over the region and many different dialects and so forth, no doubt, to get the gospel to them. So we're going to focus in on some things this morning. We're going to see Paul really moving forward with wisdom, and we'll talk about our need for that today. We're going to see him along the way at all these different spots encouraging the brothers. And we're going to talk about that, the need for encouragement and that call to encourage one another. Along the way, again, we'll see him continue to teach the word, the call to do that. And I love this. We're going to see Paul really finding some creative ways to make time to be alone with the Lord in the midst of all the busyness. And I know we are in a very busy culture and it's imperative that we are finding time and making time to spend with the Lord because if we're not spending time with the Lord, what are we what do we have to really offer with those around to to those around us? We need to get filled up so that we could absolutely get emptied out and that needs to be on an ongoing basis. And then in the midst of this, we're going to see at one of the stops Paul preaching till midnight and a young man during this message falls into a deep sleep. That's never happened at church before up to this point. He falls into a deep sleep and he ends up falling out of a window three stories high. He hits the ground and he is dead. And praise God, uh, Paul prays for him and the Lord resurrects him. And so we'll look at that. So there's a lot here. Uh, you know what, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to lay it all out. That's a little bit of where we've been though and a little bit where we're going. I'm not going to read through all the text at once. We're going to make it a few verses at a time as we go down here and hopefully we'll leave here built up and just just encourage in the Lord this morning so notice verse one it says after the uproar had ceased Paul called the disciples to himself embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia so he's in Ephesus at this point he's been there for a few years as we just touched on and remember right before he was about to go uh, there's this great commotion in the city it almost moves into a full-on riot uh, again of Chapter 19 is called a commotion. Here in chapter 20 is called an uproar. And usually where there's a roar, there's a lion involved, right? You know, it's generally lions that we know are the beasts that roar. And that was the case in this. There was a lion in their midst that was stirring an uproar. And absolutely that lion in their midst trying to stir that up was our adversary, the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant. And so this is a charge to us as followers of Christ, to be sober-minded, to be vigilant or alert. He says, because our adversary or your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And absolutely, the devil had stirred up an uproar there in the city to come against the gospel of Jesus Christ that was making an incredible impact there in Ephesus and through all of Asia. And remember in this case we saw the enemy working through one of his soldiers named Demetrius. Who was a man who first and foremost loved money. And because of the salvations that were taking place and the great move of God. His bottom line was being affected because he was a man that made idols. And people were turning from idols to worship the living God. So remember he went and he got his fellow idol makers and silversmiths and so forth stirred them up 
And then they went and they stirred the people up, not based on their income going down because they'd just be like, well, you know what, you better work harder. But instead, on the deception that they were under is where they came from because, remember, many of the people there worshipped the Queen of Heaven or Diana. And so they brought this angle that, hey, the Queen of, I, the Queen of Heaven is in risk, you know, of being blasphemed and so forth. And they got the people all in an uproar. And remember, they went up going to the theater there, and they, they chanted for two hours, great is Diana, and so forth, of, of the, the Ephesians. And it, it was just kind of a, 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 you know, at a trance that they went under. And in the midst of that, we saw God move through, of all people, the city clerk to bring order and to settle it all down. Now, I have to think when this was going on for two hours, the disciples had to be in a great, in great prayer calling out to the Lord because they weren't letting anyone talk. They weren't letting anyone bring a defense and so forth. We know from these guys' lives and from the pattern we've seen in Acts, they had to have been on their place, their face praying. And in the midst of that, again, God would use the city clerk to basically say, hey, what's going on here? These guys haven't broken any laws. But remember, he says, you guys are on the cusp of breaking a law because you're on the cusp of getting this being declared not a peaceful assembly or protest, but it's about to be declared a riot. And you have no reasons for a riot. And you know what? That's going to come back on you. And after he shared that, it says that the whole crowd settled down. And no doubt they didn't just settle down because the city clerk came out, you know, with a tie on and a clipboard and said, hey, guys, you can't do this. No doubt the Lord was working there. And we touched on this a bit last week, and I think it's worthy of repeating again because again in verse one we do go back to that the uproar had ceased we really see this city clerk working in the way that god has intended government to work in romans 13 it speaks to this in verse four it says about again the ruler it says he is god's minister to you for good but if you do evil be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is god's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And absolutely, listen, the government gives account to God whether they know it or not. Man, you want to run for office? It's all the more you're going to give an account to God Almighty because really they're supposed to be ministers of God blessing those who do good. And where is good first and foremost found? It's in following the word of God. And this is why we put God's word over the laws of the land, because the order is supposed to be God is first. The government is supposed to be subjected to God and have a fear of God to bless those in any culture that are walking as well with a fear of God. They are there to minister to those who do good, but absolutely to punish those who do evil. Sadly, we're living in a time where so much of what is good is called evil and so much of what is evil is called good. And listen, for these politicians and so forth that want to walk on that backwards thinking, God's being very merciful to them right now, but they're heaping up a judgment because these individuals are supposed to be ministers of God. Now, this is refreshing because this is a case where the city clerk is actually functioning, whether he knew it or not, in the call that God had placed upon him because these men that were spreading the gospel were doing good. And so he says, these guys have done nothing wrong, but what you're doing right now is on the cusp of breaking a law and a riot's going to be declared and you're going to pay the consequences for it. Now, man, it would be nice if it always worked that way, wouldn't it? But we're living in a time where there's uh, more and more lawlessness again and more and more we're seeing the trend where what is good is called evil and evil is called good. And this is really setting the stage for the ultimate lawless one who this last week in our study in Daniel, we went in a lot of detail about the Antichrist who is soon going to come on the scene. But praise God, you know what's coming at the end of that? Jesus Christ is coming back. And he's going to rule and reign here on earth for a thousand years. And those in Christ are going to rule and reign with him. And that could be hard to grasp, but absolutely listen. That's absolutely going to unfold. And we see things unfolding prophetically as God said they would. One other note on this, though, there in Ephesus, again, there had been a great revival. And then we see this great commotion come up, this great uproar. And one thing we'll see, and we talked about it last week, is that commotions and uproars 
come and go in the life of a believer. Again, we compared the Christian walk with being in the ocean. At times there's calm. And then other times the sea gets rough. There's times when, again, the waves aren't coming in, uh, you know, at, 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 a, at a massive rate. But it's just kind of, you know, you're waiting out there. And then there's other seasons where it's wave after wave after wave. They come and they go. Here's a huge key in all of it. When the uproars come, a huge thing that we got to understand is that God's going to see us through. And we can't be a people that retreat, but a people that press on through the uproars that come our way. I love Proverbs 28.1. It says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous, and that's us in Christ, the righteous are as bold as a lion. And look, at we started by talking about the roar of a lion. And this is a call for us. When the lion is roaring, you know what we're called to do? We're called to roar back. And we do that through, again, pressing on in Christ, having our faith in the Lord, getting on our face in prayer, continuing to praise our God, to trust our God, to move forward in the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the uproar had ceased. Then Paul calls the disciples to himself. And it'd be very easy just to hurdle over that. But I think there's a truth there for us. Paul calls them to himself versus him going out and going to the city to where they are. And this to me looks like a picture of Paul moving in wisdom. Again, an uproar had just taken place in the city. And now Paul is not wanting to stir the pot again that the Lord has settled down. See, there's a time to engage the enemy, and there's also a time to avoid the enemy. This isn't Paul being a coward, but again, moving in wisdom. It's pretty simple math here. It's Proverbs 17, verse 12. Let a man Meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. It's not a good thing to meet a bear robbed with her cubs. Matthew 7, 6, Jesus said, Don't give what's holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Paul had been preaching there in Ephesus for two years. Lines had been drawn in the sand. Many had got saved. And many others were very resistant to the gospel. Again, this uproar had happened. God settled it down. It wouldn't have been wise to, for Paul to go walk in their midst to have the thing get stirred up again. So instead, he says, hey, have the disciples come to me. It's better that if I'm not, that, that I'm not seen. Because remember, Demetrius, his whole charge started with Paul. It's this Paul that has caused these things to happen. So again, he's moving with wisdom. And I'll tell you again, in this day that we are living in, we need wisdom from above, unlike any other time in the history of the world, in my opinion, because it is a hostile world towards the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. Beautifully, this is awesome. James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, is there anyone who lacks wisdom here this morning? And you say, no, not me. You lack more than you realize. That's all of us. It says, let him ask God. Are you praying for wisdom? Paul, no doubt, was praying for wisdom. This is a wise decision. Let him ask God, I love it, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. It will be given to him. It says, but let him ask with faith, not doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave driven and tossed by the sea. So you're like, well, I'm asking for wisdom, but I want to ask in faith. How do I get more faith? Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, Lord, let us be found in that place. And so he embraces them there. And then he departs to go to Macedonia. And I kind of chuckled as I read this. He embraces them. Because a few weeks ago we talked about how they laid hands. When Paul first got there to Ephesus, he laid hands on 12 guys to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And now he's leaving and he's embracing them. We know that there's some epistles that talk about greeting with a holy kiss. And you know what? What do we see going on here? We see interaction. We don't see isolation that brings death. Instead, we see them coming together spiritually. We see them coming together physically. And we see this call to us in the Word of God to continue to do that as well. Look at I know that for some folks this last year, it's been difficult for them to come together for various reasons and so forth. And look, at there's no judgment in that. 
we need to be flexible and, and listen, we need to be understanding to everyone's situation. But what I don't want to see happen is through a year like we've gone through, people coming to this place or falling into a pattern where, you know what, from now until Jesus comes back or they go to be with Jesus, church is a Zoom meeting and YouTube because it's just not the same. And I can't tell you how many people have told me, you know what, that we're out of fellowship for a while for whatever reason. Boy, it's just not the same. I mean, someone in prayer this morning, they were, they've been gone for two weeks being sick, and they're like, oh, I'm so blessed to be here. I'm so glad. Look, watching on YouTube was good, but it's just not the same as coming together and being with one another. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And again, we talked about the government being a minister to those who do good. What's good? It's following God's word. This is a command from God for us to come and gather together to exhort one another, to build up one another. So from here, Paul goes to Macedonia. I remember the Lord, the Spirit of God had purposes on his heart. So again, He's going in an orderly way as God has directed him. Verse 2, it says, when he'd gone over to that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. And so he goes to Macedonia, and this is where we read earlier where he went, to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. These places were familiar. Here, Macedonia, where is that? Well, we know these cities from the word. So he goes back to those churches to do what? To encourage them. To build them up in their faith. And we got a call to do that. Where it says not to forsake the assembling but exhort one another. That word exhortation. It means to stir. It also means to encourage each other. And part of what we should be doing on a morning like this morning. Is interacting with one another. And encouraging one another in the Lord. Oftentimes, just seeing someone's face. And worshiping with someone opening the Bible with each other to get in the Word. There's great encouragement that comes from that. In fact, Paul told one of those Macedonian churches in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore comfort or encourage, it's the same word there, each other and edify one another just as you are doing. And I'll tell you, one way that we can do that is the way that Paul did it with many words. And it wasn't Paul just talking, but no doubt we know it was Paul bringing the Word of God. No doubt bringing the prophetic word of God. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, But if anyone prophesies, he speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort or encouragement to all men. So this morning, again, let's heed that call to encourage one another. And this morning, if you're in need of real encouragement, you want to be encouraged in truth. Sometimes people just want to be encouraged in rebellion. I, I don't got an answer for you in that. But listen, other than get away from that, quit playing mind games with yourself. But if you need real encouragement, get in the Word of God. I mean, God's Word encourages us as we just get in and let it wash us. And get around folks that speak the Word. And get listening to podcasts and sermons that are going to actually bring the Word of God according to the Scriptures. And I'll tell you, an opposite of that, we need to start churning off words more and more that don't edify and don't encourage. Words that, again, don't lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll give you a little tip here. Again, this is my personal conviction. Be very, very careful if you watch the mainstream news all day long and you're going to try to find encouragement in that, whether it's CNN or Fox or whatever it is, because for the most part, you know what you're getting there is you're getting propaganda. You're not going to hear encouragement from the Lord and you're getting more commentary on what's happening versus really seeing what's happening. I'm not saying not to watch that stuff at all, but boy, watch your soul there because oftentimes you can get torn down and beat down and angry and upset and they're just running their propaganda up there and we're here like fish taking the bait and God hasn't called us to take the bait as fish. He's called us instead to be fishers of men so he comes here to greece now so he's in macedonia now he goes south to greece it says he stayed for three months and when the jews plotted against him he was about to sail to syria and decided to return through macedonia now we know that 
one of the churches in Greece was the church in Corinth. I remember he had sent Timothy and some others ahead of him, Timothy and Gaius, to take that first letter to the church in Corinth. He would be with them for three months. And what's interesting, when Paul writes them the next epistle, it got back to him what they said about him after he left. And here's Paul who had been used by God to plant that church. And here's Paul writing epistles to that church that the Holy Spirit moved upon him, which are part of the word of God. And yet when Paul left, because false teachers came in and began to tear down Paul, they began to listen to those false teachers. And they said this about Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.10. They say uh, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Boy, that's not a very nice thing to say about Paul. And these guys, what they were doing, though, is they were confusing weakness with meekness. There's a big difference between the two. Meekness is power under control. Paul was in their midst with a humility. Paul was in their midst as a servant. Paul was in their midst, again, not roaring, but instead wanting to minister. It's interesting, in verse 11, Paul says, Let such a person, person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. So it says, you better be careful. You think I'm weak? You think my speech is contemptible? I can come and I can have my presence be just like my letters. So take heed to that. And we've touched a lot on the church in Corinth. I thought I'd just throw that out there because it does fit in the timeline. Because a lot of people have been asking, when did he write these letters and so forth? So I'm trying to point those out as we go through there. So that first letter had been written. He's with them for three months. They said that about him afterwards. He addresses it in his second letter to them. And then notice here, these Jews had plotted against Paul, and they're following around from place to place. And as they're plotting against him, Paul's in a place where he's getting ready to go to Syria, where Antioch is, where he was first sent out. But once again, it seems that the Lord gives Paul a word of wisdom. These guys are plotting against Paul. Perhaps he gets word that they're going to follow him to Syria or they're going to meet him in Syria where really the headquarters of definitely the, the, the northern part of the church was where there were many believing Gentiles and so forth. And so Paul doesn't act as a coward here, but instead is led by the Spirit and moves with wisdom. And he says, I'm just going to change my plans. Instead of going to Syria, I'm going to go back up through Macedonia. And, you know, as I read this verse, I thought of Psalm 1.1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And listen, the main application of that is just in day-to-day living It's what we just talked about, getting inundated with God's word versus the propaganda of the world. There's blessing when you get filled with God's word and so forth, and that you don't just stand in the path of sinners taking their counsel. But I think there's also a practical application here. Sometimes as a follower of Christ, there's going to be individuals that despise you because they despise your God. And even when they see your face, it just stirs them up to want to you know, your face triggers them. Has that ever happened to anybody? Just your presence triggers them. And I'll tell you, I've seen more than once in my life where my presence has triggered people. And, and uh, you know, and I don't want to get too much into detail because you guys will start trying to figure out what I'm talking about and so forth. But I can just tell you this. About a year ago, the Lord just gave me a word of wisdom in my travels. And he said, just don't go that way anymore. Because when you go that way, you're triggering people. And these people are dogs and hogs. They don't want to hear the truth. And when they see you, they're getting triggered. And then when they're getting triggered, it's not encouraging you, but you're getting triggered back. And so just don't go that way anymore. It's real simple. Just go this other way. And I'll tell you, I started doing that. And all of a sudden, an area where the enemy was stirring stuff up immediately just got settled and so forth. And I think we need to be sensitive to the Lord in that. And that's what Paul's doing. He says, listen, these guys are opposed to the gospel. It's not to say that we're always not to go a different route. But in this case, God led him. Don't go in the path of sinners. Go this other way. And he's moving in wisdom. God, give us that wisdom. Now, notice verse 4. It says, now, Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. 
also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. So Paul has a crew going with them. And listen, I could comment on all these guys and so forth and cross-reference them. I'm not going to do that this morning. You have their names there. I'd encourage you to consider doing that because there's little footnotes about these guys and so forth. And it's pretty awesome to look at. But one thing I see here that I rejoice in, there's different men here from different cities, different cultures, and different nations that are all saved and following Jesus. And they're taking the gospel out to all the nations around them. What a beautiful picture of what God's called us here on earth. And I'll tell you, this is also a beautiful picture of how things are going to be in heaven in glory. It's not going to be a bunch of cookie-cutter folks, but people of different ethnicities and people of different cultures and so forth, all giving glory to God. Not my opinion. Notice Revelation 5-9, they sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. This is being sung in heaven. Notice, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Isn't that awesome? Notice what they don't say, though. You've saved us from every race. You don't see that because there's only one race, the human race. Amen. We all come from one blood. But every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, you have saved us. What a glorious day that is going to be. Now, notice verse 6. And we're coming to the part where the guy falls out of the window, which you guys, oh, yeah, everyone got excited about that for some reason in the preview here. It says, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and five days joined them in Troas and stayed seven days. So it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is also the Feast of Passover. Those go together because remember when God called Israel out of Egypt. They took unleavened bread, and we know leaven's a picture of sin. It's really a picture of them called to leave their sin back in Egypt. And absolutely, they left Egypt because they trusted in God's word. They took a lamb, and they put the blood over their doorpost. And so that angel of death came through to kill the firstborn of every household who didn't want to trust God's word and put blood over their doorpost. And when that happened, Pharaoh finally said, get out of here. Because they were passed over from that death. And God had called them to celebrate that every single year. To celebrate it rejoicing in God's deliverance out of Egypt. But more so to celebrate it because it pointed them towards Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Who ultimately fulfilled the Passover and shedding His blood for us. That if any would call on the name of Jesus, would have their sins passed over and forgiven and washed. Through what Christ has done. Are you in Christ this morning? Can you say amen to that? What a glorious truth to know that our sins are passed over. And we are positionally right with God. Because Jesus laid down his life for us. And then took it back up and defeated death on the third day. And I'll tell you this morning. If you don't know the Lord. Today's the day of salvation. And the Lord Jesus wants to wash you of your sin. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to begin a work in your life, renew your mind, and bless you. And I encourage you, and I can't implore you enough to call upon Christ because our time here is very short, but eternity is going to last forever. Now notice it says in verse 7, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to part the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now notice, first of all, they came together when? And this is when they came together for church. It was on the first day of the week. And what's the first day of the week? It's Sunday. Why did they come together on that day and not on Saturday or the Sabbath? Because the Lord rose from the grave on the first day of the week. And you see this throughout the New Testament. They would gather on the first day of the week. Now listen, ultimately, we should worship God every day of the week. And ultimately, I think Sunday is a great day to gather together. It is the first day of our week. And really, it's awesome that even our culture has been structured around that for the most part. You know, most people have Sundays off. But a day's just a day. But I do like to point this out because there's more and more of a chirping and a voice that seems to be growing even within Christendom that says, 
we got to worship on Saturday. we got to worship on the Sabbath. And listen, if you want to worship on Saturday or even gather together on Saturday, praise God, then gather together on Saturday. But the problem becomes when people start saying, and if you don't gather on Saturday, you're in sin. And some take it so far as saying, listen, it's about Jesus plus gathering together on Saturday to save you from your sin. There's some churches that their whole name revolves around the day that they worship on. Seventh day at Venice. What's the seventh day? It's Saturday. Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. And this is what the scripture says, Romans 14, 5, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. So we need to know that. And I know that group says, well, listen, you know what? The Antichrist has changed the day of worship to Sunday. Well, listen, the book of Acts says something different. And then they say, well, The spirit of Antichrist did that because it's about sun worship. That's where Sunday comes from. That's where the name comes from, Sunday. Well, I think they miss out on the fact that Saturday is named after Saturn. So it's kind of like, you know, let's just stick to the word here. We have freedom and the Lord, isn't that awesome? We choose to gather together on Sunday. But listen, I, I had fellowship with some believers yesterday on Saturday. Lord willing, I will tomorrow. Wednesday night, we come and gather together. We have freedom in the Lord. The problem comes in is when you begin to make a law and says it's faith plus Jesus plus you've got to do something on this day or like we're doing that. Galatians 5, 4 says you become estranged from Christ. You who, to be, who choose to attempt to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. So you're saying it's Jesus plus you've got to worship on Saturday. The Bible says you've fallen from grace. Because you got a co-redeemer now. It's not just Jesus. It's also you going to church on Saturday. And that's not going to wash you of your sins. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that saves. So it says here, again, it's the first day of the week. Paul's getting ready to depart the next day. So his message that night, it continues all the way till midnight. It's funny because last Sunday I felt bad. Because we had pancakes, and I was going to try to finish 10 minutes early, and I went 10 minutes long. It was a part because the clock was behind the tent up there, and I couldn't see it. Then all of a sudden it came down, and I'm like, uh-oh. So I said, move the clock. I feel bad because, like, everything was, it ended up working out. I was, and I was still kind of feeling bad on Sunday, and then, then, and I already knew this was there, but then I read, and I was reminded, Paul pre- preached a minute. I didn't feel bad anymore after that. I'm like, well, man, I'm not feeling bad about that. I went like 10 minutes over. You know what's awesome about this? Oh, he spoke to midnight and they listened till midnight. What a great hunger for the word they had. And I'll tell you, I feel very blessed to be pastoring a church where I can teach for an hour. You know, sometimes 45 minutes, 50, sometimes an hour and five last week. And people are hungry for the word. Because you can get up and leave whenever you want. You're like, oh, I can. Well, I'm going to leave right now. But it's a blessing. And who knows, man, as the way things are going, we might have one of these midnight messages one of these days. I don't know. It says in verse 8, there were many, yeah, come on until we actually do it right now. (laughs) So they're in the upper room, and it says there were many lamps in this upper room where they were gathered together. And no doubt this upper room was probably packed. It's full of these lamps that are putting off a heat. It's full of these lamps that put off, you know, a a, a candlelight uh, ambiance. And you know what that generally does? It stirs up melatonin in your body that tells your body it's time to go night-night. <laughs> and notice verse 9, in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who's sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continues speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. And so Paul's preaching till midnight and teaching, and no doubt doing that passionately. Again, it's getting very late. The air had to be thick in that room and the light dim. You know, it, it's, it's, it's sleepy time, you know, at atmosphere. This young man, Eutychus, you know, he probably worked all day and showed up for the study. He's sitting in the window, no doubt. Why would he sit there to try to stay awake? He's like, I need some fresh air. 
he starts sink, sinking into a deep sleep. And I don't know, I, have, I, I, I wonder if maybe he starts snoring even. I've been in many a prayer meeting where, you know, someone starts snoring in it. And God bless you, Pastor Dwight, if you're watching in Texas. And I like just to pray for him. I know when I do that, I wake up, you know, it's like trigger, you know, one of those. And then he, he, he gets overcome by the sleep. And I love it. Paul just, keeps, Paul just keeps on preaching, you know. Paul probably saw him and probably just thought, you know what, God bless that guy. I, that's what I try to do when someone falls asleep. Or I just get real loud. Or, hey, you know, do one of those. Uh, but generally, you know what, you know, God bless them. They were tired and they came to church. And sometimes, oh, man, I'm so sorry I fell asleep. I'm like, I didn't even see it. But now that I know, you know, how dare you, you know. So he falls asleep, Paul just keeps teaching, and then all of a sudden he topples out of the window. Three stories up, and he falls down dead. And how could we not think of what Jesus said in Matthew 26, 40? It's the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord's going to the cross. It says he brought Peter, James, and John with them to pray in that garden. And then in verse 40 of Matthew 26, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And here's a young man who had a willing spirit, but his flesh was weak. And physically, he just got overtaken by, you know what, weariness. Sometimes spiritually, we can fall asleep as well, though. Romans 13, 11, do this knowing the time that now it's high time to awake out of our sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast, cast off works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and dark, drunkenness and lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Put on the Lord Jesus, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And what I see here when it's talking about Physical sleep, when it's talking about spiritual sleep, I see a few charges here. I got them there in your notes. Number one, watch. And I think we need to be watchful physically and spiritually. We want to be used by the Lord. We want to be good stewards of our time. Part of that includes practically watching your choices. And praise God, we got freedom in the Lord. But I know you are what you eat. And your body gets fueled from what you put into it. And I know we live in a culture that doesn't have a lot of good choices for foods. But I encourage you to consider that. I know as I've gotten older, my diet's got a lot better. My exercise has got a lot better. I do a lot of things that I knew I needed to change. Because I, I tell everyone I took my 30s off. And by the time I got to 40, I'm like, what in the world's happened to me? And I was tired and 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 just uh getting sick all the time and my kids were growing up and i was like i gotta change some stuff i i know i got freedom in the lord i I can eat fast food every day if i want to and i don't need to work out i got freedom in the lord but practically i need to look at my body because i want to preach till jesus comes or i go to be with the lord so we got to watch our choices our schedule our health, and also the fruits of our life spiritually. And then we need to pray. We need to pray about all that physically and spiritually. Let's pray for wisdom. Let's pray for physical strength. It's okay to pray for that. God, give me the strength I need to power forward. Give me the strength I need perhaps to come out to a midweek study so I can get up the next day. We prayed for our kids for years when they were little. They were at every church service, Wednesday night after Wednesday night. And back then we started at 7 and not 6.30. And Thursday morning, they'd always, oh, and we're like, you know what? We're going to pray for them today because our kids are going to be in church midweek. Now again, if that doesn't work for you, I'm not putting a legalism on, but I'll tell you, they, just, they, they all did just fine. And then he says to put on Christ. Again, maybe spiritually you're asleep this morning. Let's put on Christ. Let's get in the word. Let's put on the mindset of a servant of God. And make no provision for the flesh. It goes back to that encouragement. Get in the word. 
and then turn off that stuff that's discouraging. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't feed it because if you feed your soul just with rebellion, it's going to put you spiritually asleep. So two things out of this from Eutychus following the number one, the spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. That's number one. You know what the second thing is? You ready for this? Good preaching oftentimes puts people to sleep. It's true. If you're going to truly teach the word, it means you've got to unpack doctrine. It means you've got to go through all of God's counsel. Paul had done that in Ephesus. It means it's not always going to be entertaining. And I know that's a challenge for us in the West because pretty much everyone judges something by, was I entertained or not? Was I amused? If I was amused, it was good. If I wasn't entertained, it was bad. And over about the last 50, 60 years, the Western church has taken that on. Let's entertain the people because the people want to be entertained. There's been volumes written on this. They're not bestsellers, but they point out the errors of the bestsellers. (laughs) Problem with that is the entertainment's always got to get a little bit better. Next thing you know, the pastor comes skydiving, you know, into the service and whatnot. Because we got a one-up. But eventually, listen... It it loses its muster because most Christian entertainment, you know what it is? It's corny. It's cheesy. It's goofy. And then a pandemic hits, and you know what they say the national survey is? Most churches have about a third of the people that were there before. And I guarantee a part of it is the church of entertainment. Chickens coming home to roost. Good preaching at times is going to put people to sleep because you've got to unpack doctrine. For goodness sakes, we were in Daniel 11 a few Wednesday nights ago, and it was fascinating, but at the same time, boy, it was tedious because we unpacked 135 fulfilled prophecies from the time of Daniel to just before the coming of Christ. And it was work. Last week, talking about the Queen of Heaven and unpacking that, it was work. A few weeks before that, unpacking the person and the work of the holy spirit it was glorious but it was work and it's easy to skip all those things but listen that's not going to feed our souls we got to get in the word of god church shouldn't be about sermonettes for christianettes it should be about we're ready to dig in and yeah pastor c's going to have a few jokes there and so forth I don't plan those. I think God's blessed me with a pretty good sense of humor. I like to laugh and rejoice. But my aim when I come here is to unpack doctrine, whether you're entertained or not. And sometimes that puts some people to sleep. Sometimes just because they're weary and God bless them in that. I praise God that they're just a fellowship. But sometimes it puts people to sleep that don't have a hunger for God's word. And that's when we need to step back and gut check. Why am I not interested in these things? And very well it could be because we're fueling and filling our heart continually with the propaganda and the lies of the world with the wickedness of the world. But this good preaching put a guy asleep. He fell out of the window dead. A couple things I think of with that is, man, the Bible study just got exciting. And probably the second question was, do we have insurance, you know? Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him. Had to sense his life come back to him because he says, don't trouble yourself. His life is in him. I'd have to think Paul going down those stairs was praying every step along the way. It seems as he went down, he got a word from the Lord, a direction. I have to wonder if it was birthed from Scripture itself. I won't read this this morning, but in 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings Chapter 4, we see two accounts, one of Elisha the prophet, or Elijah the prophet, one of Elisha the prophet. And in both cases, there were children who had died. The first being the widow of, the child of the widow where Elijah, uh, Elijah stayed. The other, the child that God had given to a barren woman who housed Elisha. And their, child, their children died, and in both cases, both prophets laid themselves over the child. Literally laid on them. And in 2 Kings, it says, Elijah put his mouth on the child's mouth. Paul comes, and he does the exact same thing. And I look at this, and my question is, 
was this Holy Spirit-led CPR? Seems like it is. But with the Holy Spirit jolt, you know. And then like those things you put on, you know, and they hurt. The Holy Spirit touched them. And it seems that Paul is following the order laid by these guys. Man, I'll tell you, when these things happen in life and they do at times, let's cry out to God for wisdom, amen? What do we do, Lord? How should we respond? No doubt he has to feel the life come back in this child. So he says, don't trouble yourself. That word means don't make a do. His life's in him. He's been resurrected. And what a reminder for us because we too, listen, we were asleep and dead on our sins in Christ. We are alive now, and in Christ we will be resurrected unto eternal life. What a glorious reminder and a glorious truth. Now, verse 11, it says, Now when he had come up and broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. So what do they do from here? Paul preaches to midnight. Eutychus falls out the window. He goes and he prays for him. Life comes right back to him. And what do they do? They go right back to what they were doing before. Hey, let's have church till the break of dawn. Because that's what they're doing. Maybe the Bible study is not happening, but they're breaking bread and they're fellowshipping. And we're called to be in the doctrine of the word, to fellowship, to break bread and to be a people of prayer. That's what church is supposed to look like. I love the fact they just went right back to church. (laughs) And then verse 12, it says, and they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. Yeah, you think? Man, what a great comfort. What a great comfort from the God who comforts us in all our tribulations. 2 Corinthians 1.4. And he does that so we can comfort others in their tribulation. Then notice here verse 13. And we're almost done. You see the clock this morning. So it helps me in pacing. <laughs> but yeah, I heard a bunch of people say amen when I said he preached till midnight. So I don't know. No. <laughs> it says, when they went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. So they're going east now. They intended to take Paul on board, so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And listen, again, this just looks like a transitional thing, but there's something here to consider. They went ahead of Paul to the port, boarded the ship, and they sailed off to Assos. Paul, though, if, if you break it down, you've got to read it several times, what exactly is going on? Paul walked after them, and he took a different ship, because you can't walk from where they are to where they went. So Paul says, and he did this earlier as well, you guys go ahead of me. Well, why didn't Paul just go with them? Well, what comes to my mind is 1 Corinthians 11.1, where Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. You know what Jesus often did? In places like Matthew 14, 22 and 23, we, see, we read this. It says, he sent the multitudes away, and he went to the mountain by himself to pray. Now evening came, and he was alone. Paul's imitating the Lord here. Look, there was a bunch of dudes around, a lot of work, a lot of meetings and so forth. Paul had been poured out the night before in this Bible study till midnight and fellowshipping till the break of dawn. And hey, guys, let's all go to the port together. No, you guys go ahead. I'm going to imitate Christ. He walked alone to the port, took his own ship. No doubt to spend time alone with the Lord in prayer. It's imperative that we are doing this. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your heavenly Father in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You want something to give out in the open? you got to get alone with the Lord in your prayer closet. And Paul's being creative. And listen, for a lot of us, we got to be creative in finding this time, right? Ask the Lord for wisdom. Ask the Lord for creativity. Maybe it's just a thing on your time to you, as you drive to work in San Luis, you got to turn the radio off and make that car your prayer closet. Maybe at your work, you work in town, you need to take your lunch and go out to your car and make it your prayer closet. You know, you're out there praying and people are watching inside, you know, eating a sandwich. He's talking to himself in the car over there. What's going on? Just say you're Bluetoothing Jesus, you know. And then verse 14, it says, when he met us in Assos, we took him on board and came to uh, uh, Melina. Uh, we sailed from there, and the next day came opposite of 
Tyos. Uh, the following day, we arrived at Sam's, uh, uh, Sam- Samos and stayed at uh, Trigilium. The next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So look, at Paul's not running amok here. He's running as the Spirit had purposed on his heart. It's an orderly direction. Next week, we'll see in Miletus, he calls the elders in Ephesus to come over and join him. And I'll tell you, it's gonna, it, he gives them a, you talk about doctrine and order, he gives them a, a, an incredible exhortation of really what we should be doing as the church. And he also gives them a great warning of, of false teachers that would rise up from amongst them and come in from the outside to try to destroy them. And he gives great insight and instruction on how to guard the church against those things and so forth. It's a phenomenal passage. The last thing here, though, I want to point out, Paul's wanting to ultimately get back to Jerusalem. And if possible, by the day of Pentecost. And why by the day of Pentecost? Is it because he's trying to fulfill the law and keeping the feast? No way. Maybe he wanted to be there to worship God on that day. Nothing wrong with that. But Paul, again, listen, he knew we're saved by grace through faith. He didn't have to be there to fulfill the law. The law is fulfilled in the Lord. There's no doubt because Paul wanted to get back to Jerusalem to do one thing, to share Jesus with them. This is what he was driven to do. To share Christ crucified and raised from the dead to them. To show them that Jesus is their Messiah. And what went on at Pentecost? Pentecost was full of Jews from all over the world. He's like, if I can get there at Pentecost, I don't have to go out to them. They'll be there where I'm going. And so he's eyeing that, no doubt, as a great time of evangelism. And Paul's ministering where he's at as he's going. But he has an eye on that day saying, this could be a glorious opportunity. I really want to get there for that. And listen, where we are right now, I couldn't help to think of us eyeing Resurrection Sunday as it comes. We're worshiping God today. The gospel's being preached today. But we also got our eye on Resurrection Sunday in about five weeks or so. Because it's a time when many people will come to church who normally don't come. Now, I don't know what this year will look like with everything that's gone on. But I'm praying hearts will be stirred. I'm praying we're going to put the invite all over and so forth. And, and as Paul says, man, I only get there by Pentecost. I'm looking ahead and we're looking ahead. The leadership of many of the church, we want to seize that opportunity on Resurrection Sunday. Maybe you're saying, what day is that? It's Easter, which is Ishtar, which we talked about last week. Is Resurrection Sunday is what it is. And so as Paul imitates Christ, he says, imitate me. Let's imitate him in that and be praying for a glorious day on that day. Amen. Let's stand up right now and close in prayer and worship of the Lord. Heavenly Father, indeed, we bless you today and give you praise. We thank you again, Lord, for yet another opportunity to come out here and give you glory, God. Lord, I... I know, Lord, we've looked at a lot here, but, Lord, we're looking at the order of, of, of your word, God. And so, Lord, I thank you for all of these exhortations and encouragements, God, and insights and some of these doctrinal things we looked at, God. Let us take these things, God, and not just quickly forget them, but water these seeds and let us chew on them, God, that even more fruit and growth would be birthed in our life, God, as, Lord, we... Lord, go out from this place, God. Lord, this morning we know that today is the day of salvation. And again, Lord, we thank you that you laid down your life so that our sins could be passed over. And God, we can know that we know we have salvation and God, forgiveness in you. And Lord, perhaps all of us out here this morning know you, but if there's any who don't, Lord, I pray and I would hope that this day they would call on you. And listen, if that's you, if you don't know the Lord and you're saying, Steve, I want to know Christ. I want Him to be my Lord and Savior. I just encourage you, where you stand, call on Him. Invite Him into your life. Ask Him to be your Lord, to be the Savior of your life. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. 
The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord be saved. And that's calling upon Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Lord, any in that place, meet them where they are right now, God. Shine your face on them. Begin a great work in their lives. If that's you, I encourage you to tell someone before you leave here today. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands and just encourage you in the Lord. So God, we thank you and praise you. Let us finish well right now, Lord, lifting our voices to you. Let's worship the Lord as we close. Jesus, Lord of heaven, I do not deserve the grace that you have given and the promise of your word. Lord, I stand in wonder at the sacrifice you Lord of heaven. Jesus, Lord of heaven, I do not deserve the praise that you have given and the promise of your word. Lord, I stand in The sacrifice you made with mercy beyond measure.
Your love is deeper. Your love is deeper than any ocean I just pray God blesses you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. And listen, we talked a lot about encouragement and so forth this morning. We got like half an hour to the next service. Encourage you to encourage someone before you leave today. And again, just pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.